Hey guys, Abel here. Welcome back to another video. And uh, today I will be talking about my training history after discussing my diet history, which was really well received. And um, you guys indicated that you would be interested in um, me talking about how my training went and all the different things I've tried, what worked and what uh, didn't work so well over the last 10 years or so. So that's what I'm going to do today. I actually need something that will distract me from the rather annoying thing that happened today as well, which is that my new Instagram account, which I just made after the previous one got disabled after working on it for years and reaching, I don't know, about 5,000 followers, which is not that amazing, but still it was a big deal to me. It got disabled randomly and this new Instagram account got disabled even more randomly. So. Uh, hopefully I will be able to get it back, but um, I don't really expect that to happen. So um, yeah, that's pretty much as much as I'm gonna say about that topic because I actually plan on doing a video just on this and I'm gonna be talking shit about Instagram and Facebook and about that whole bunch for at least 20 minutes because I am very pissed actually. Anyways, so yeah, let's talk about my training history. Um, hopefully there will be something that will be useful for you guys and you can take something away from my story. So let's just start at the beginning again. And as I mentioned in my diet history video, I was interested in getting a good looking body and improving my body composition and health as well from a rather young age. When I was around 10 years old, I started getting into sports. And from that point on, I basically tried out every sport imaginable. It would be easier to just count the sports that I did not try. So for example, I didn't try handball, which is kind of a shame because I think I would have liked that a lot. I also didn't try water polo, which is kind of a shame again, because Hungary is really good at water polo, especially at that time, Hungary was exceptionally good at it. So who knows, maybe I could have been a, an Olympian in water polo, probably not. The biggest deal was kayaking. So I was actually pretty good at kayaking for at least the amount of time that I did that for. I also tried fencing, which actually I was really good at. At one point I was ninth in my country in the rankings, at least in my age class. So that was pretty cool. And then throughout high school, I remained to be a relatively sporty kid. I stopped doing sports at around age 15, 16, and, but I kept doing things voluntarily. I was not going to the gym for the most part, but I did some push-ups and chin-ups and things like that at home. And um, I kept myself in relatively decent shape. Like I told you before, I was not that jock, that weird kid in school who was like super jacked, but I was in okay shape. And I will try to put up a picture of myself as far as my physique and how that was during that time. My first exposure to the fitness industry or my first exposure to working out in a more formal sense where I was decidedly going to the gym regularly and I was reading up on the topic and things like that as well was when I was 20 years old. And that coincided perfectly with my low carb slash paleo zealot phase about which I talked about at length in my diet history video. Uh, someone under that video's comment section very accurately guessed that I had a phase during my training journey where I was into the super slow, high intensity training style. And uh, that's exactly how it was. That was the first training style that I tried. The way in which I got exposed to the whole high intensity training style was a pretty straightforward process because low carb, paleo, 
often kind of goes hand in hand with people that are into biohacking, all about getting the most results with the least effort and finding little hacks in the human body in which you can get phenomenal results, which otherwise you thought you could only get by a lot of hard work, but now you can also get it with these little cool tricks. And from then on, when it comes to exercise, of course, you know, high intensity training and super slow, which doesn't require you to use heavy weights and also doesn't, doesn't require you to use high volumes. Those things will go hand in hand and that's just a very obvious outcome. So that's pretty much how I got exposed to high intensity training as well and super slow training. I watched a lecture by Dr. Doug McGuff which he gave at the 21 convention. That's actually a very, very good lecture. Like even if you don't agree with anything that he's saying, and I would say at this point, I would not agree with a lot of the things that he was saying there, but Doug is a phenomenal speaker and a really, really good presenter. I actually really like Doug to this day, even though my way of training and his way of training or what he advocates have zero things in common basically, except that maybe both of us agree that, um, well, I'm not even gonna get to that just yet. So I do like him a lot. I would say that the main thing that I would take issue with regarding Dr. Doug McGuff is that his messaging had a lot of this, um, what if everything you thought was right is wrong kind of thing. You know, the same thing that these low carb people were touting all the time that, you know, this is the truth. We know how it is, but uh, people don't know it or they pretend that they don't know it. And everything that you heard, like all these experts, they are basically misleading you because this is the real science. Like he had a lot of that in his messaging. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that um, that is accurate for one. And maybe if not specifically in the case of Doug McGuff, but I think it's just disingenuous for the most part. So whenever I hear something like that, I'm, that's kind of a red flag for me at this point. But when I saw that lecture from Dr. McGuff, I was like, this makes sense. I mean, okay, basically if I'm understanding this correctly, what stimulates muscle growth is that you make it fail, basically. You're giving it this signal which has been developed and perfected throughout evolution that there is a threat. I'm fighting with something basically like you would in nature. I'm currently unable to overcome this resistance. So, hey, muscles grow bigger so that the next time this happens, I'm better able to cope with this challenge. So that's what you need to do while you're working out. And it's just a big fallacy that you need to do a whole bunch of sets and you need to train six days a week. No, you really only need like very brief bursts of very intense stimulus. You need to give that to the muscles and then the muscles are gonna grow. So that was basically the message. I understood that and I was like, whew, lucky me. Not only did I find the truth when it comes to diet, but now I also have it when it comes to training. So I'm basically settled for the rest of my life. And so I started doing that in the gym myself. So Dr. Doug McGuff had this big five workout. I don't even remember exactly what that was, but I think there was five exercises with a chest press, horizontal press type movement, an overhead press type movement, then a pull down, and then I guess a leg press and then something else, which actually now I don't really remember what that was, but uh, yeah, so five movements and I started doing that with these super slow repetitions. So each rep lasted for like 20 seconds or something like that. And uh, yeah, I got a lot of strange looks in the gym. A lot of these buff guys were work walking up and down and they were looking at me like, what the hell is this guy doing? But I almost had this smirk on my face, like you guys, you don't know what you don't know. 
you know, I know exactly what I'm doing and, you know, trust me in no time, I will be so much fitter and so much more muscular than you guys are. It's uh, you're wasting your time. Like what you're doing is completely wrong, but Hey, not everybody is as lucky as me that uh, they just get exposed to the truth so soon. And actually I kept this way of training up for like two or three months. Um, I know that at some point I basically just lost my cool because like, okay, like uh, I, I need to do something a little bit more interesting. Uh, then I had a friend who recommended his training program for me and it was a website called, um, well, I don't know what the website is called anymore actually, but the workout itself was called THT, which was standing for Targeted Hypertrophy Training. And um, it was a free ebook. Um, it actually was pretty well put together and it was actually pretty informative. What I did like about it is that it was kind of along the same lines as the high intensity, super slow training stuff that high training volumes are overrated and training very intensely or with a high intensity of effort. That's really the key. And it was a five day bro split, which, you know, arguably that's not ideal, but the rationale for that was also well explained. So I started following that. Um, honestly, I just ran myself into the ground with that. Looking back, most probably because when the guy said the training to failure, I took that literally. So I didn't just train like most people train when they talk about training to failure, which is basically a zero reps in reserve. So basically still getting that last grindy rep and stopping afterwards. But no, I actually failed reps and I was even doing force reps and whatnot. And um, yeah, very quickly, I was just not able to add load to the bar. But uh, yeah, so again, that was a good thing about the training program that it did talk about increasing the load over time and how progressive overload is key. So yeah, then I got really frustrated that I was just not going anywhere with my training. I was no longer getting stronger and um, I was also not getting visibly more muscular from week to week, which I expected to happen. By now, I know that that's ridiculous. That's not how it's working. But then I thought that that's the expectation here. Uh, so I actually just quit training and I didn't return to the gym for like six months or something like that. Then once I recovered my enthusiasm and motivation to train, I returned to the gym and I started out with super slow training. Once again, I was like, okay, like this is the real science. Like this is what these smart guys are saying. I'm into low carb dieting and whatever. I have to listen to what these real scientists are saying. So, okay, I'm going to do super slow, like one set to failure for like three, four exercises. That's what I'm going to do. And it's going to be amazing. Now I kept that up for quite a while and I was very persistent. In the meantime, I was stricter than ever with low carb and with intermittent fasting and with all of those things. So I was really dedicated to make this work. And um, honestly, I can just frankly say that I just did not go anywhere with this. In fact, I will uh, put up a picture here that was taken off me during that time. And on this picture, honestly, I'm in worse shape. Like I'm less muscular on this picture than I was in high school when I wasn't even going to the gym. I was just like sometimes doing some push-ups and things like that at home and playing soccer with my friends. I guess just to wrap up my thoughts on the whole super slow, high intensity training philosophy, there are a lot of things that I would agree with. So I would also say that training volume is way overdone by a lot of people. I also think that the, the role and importance of intensity of effort is just not emphasized enough. In fact, these days it's almost cool or trendy in the evidence-based training sphere to kind of hate on more intense training. Um, I would not agree with that. And I think there is a lot of utility in lower volumes and higher intensities of effort. I think is just overdone 
in their case. Like, you know, just in the case of nutrition, once you take a concept to its most extreme degree, usually you end up running into problems. And I think that's what's happening here as well. Like I think lower volumes are cool, but maybe you can do more than just one set. You know, slower training tempos, yeah, they can be useful to avoid injuries and to keep your training safer, but maybe you can lift a little bit faster than like freaking 10 seconds up and 10 seconds down. So a few of these things. And then also like, yeah, I mean, ideally we should avoid overtraining and even, you know, overreaching for the most part. But I mean, come on, like maybe we can hit the gym more often than like freaking once a week. Like, can't I go to the gym like three, four, even like five times a week and keep my training volume moderate and still not overtrain? Like I think that part of it is way overemphasized. Like, okay, so you can do like one, two exercises, but ooh, you, 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 you edit in a bicep curl, ooh, you're going to overtrain. Like, come on, like, so it's just, um, it's, it's overdone basically. And uh, overdoing things is generally not good. So yeah, I started looking for other answers and here began a period which I think a lot of you will be able to relate to, which is I had no freaking idea what I was doing. I was basically going to the gym each week. I was doing something different. I tried one training program and that seemed to make sense. Then I ran into some other guy on the internet who had a great physique and was talking about the polar opposite of that approach. Then I started following that. Then I didn't stick to that either for any longer than like two weeks. And that's how it was going. Like I had absolutely no clue. And just like probably many of you, I could just not reconcile how it is possible that two people with phenomenal physiques and seemingly with a tone of an expert can say things that are just so drastically different. I could just not wrap my head around that. I can completely empathize with my younger self, just like I can empathize with all of you who have this kind of problem. Because the thing is that in training, we just don't have those super clear answers like we have in the case of nutrition. In nutrition, yes, we can pretty much say that, okay, like this is more or less the truth. Maybe we don't know some details, but those details are probably just not that relevant. And then there are pretty much people who know that truth and speak about it. And then there are people who just tout a whole bunch of horseshit. In the case of training, it's not like that. The thing is that science just hasn't uncovered a whole lot of answers yet. We don't know what the ideal way of training is. We have some really good ideas, but you know, even the biggest, you know, deepest experts on the topic, a lot of them will be just um, coming up with models that make sense, but we cannot know for sure what the reality is. And then of course there are, you know, just people with vastly different genetics who will respond to training very, very differently. So the fact that two people with amazing physiques are saying the polar opposite, it doesn't mean anything. It basically just means that both of them responded really well to whatever training they were doing. And of course that was very confusing to me at the time. So yeah, because of that, I was basically just chasing my tail around constantly and I was trying something new all the time. And uh, I was just desperately in need of someone that I could really trust. The first ray of hope for me came, or I guess my first step on the path of redemption came when I listened to an interview with John Kiefer. So, okay, so I guess for this, I can be grateful for, for John Kiefer. He was doing an interview with Dr. Dom D'Agostino, who is one of the biggest names in the keto, ketogenic diet sphere. Um, I hugely respect him to this day, but at the time he was like a god to me, basically. He was actually the first ever person that I interviewed for my podcast, which wasn't even really a podcast back then. But uh, I was listening to this interview with him and there he mentioned the name of Lane Norton. 
and he said that he's a good personal friend of his and that he's a big fan of how Lane approaches bodybuilding and training. And since Dom D'Agostino had this phenomenal physique, I was like, okay, well, if he swears by Lane Norton, then okay, like he will be good enough for me. So I started digging into the work of Lane. I listened to a very cool interview with him, which was very influential on me. Uh, I don't exactly remember who did the interview, but I know that the title of it was something like uh, training for hard gainers um, and advice from Lane Norton or something like that. And there the guy basically asked Lane like, okay, what would you say to someone who is a hard gainer and wants to get huge? And Lane, you know, he's a, an amazing speaker, like really good verbally and really good at presenting complex ideas in a simple manner. And uh, I really liked what I heard there. He was the first ever person who seemed like a scientifically minded individual who talked about the importance of training volume and kind of um, de-emphasized the importance of uh, intensity of effort, which um, again, like how much I agree or disagree with that now, that's a different story, but still it was a, a big novelty for me at the time because you know all these guys that I was following before, all they talked about was how you have to avoid training pretty much, like basically, Avoiding overtraining was like a bigger priority for them than actually finding the right stimulus for growth. Uh, Lane was talking more positively about training a bit more than just one set per week. He was uh, also talking about some crazy ideas like hitting a muscle group more than just once per week, which was like insane for me. And so yeah, I started digging into his work more and more. Then I found his FAT, his uh, Power Hypertrophy Adaptive Training uh, Program online. And I started following that, which was just uh, amazingly exciting for me. Like, wow, like I'm going to do this completely new thing and I'm gonna be hitting a muscle group twice a week. Like, like that is just insane. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, but then of course the program hopper in me took over really quickly. So I think I maybe followed Lane Norton's training setup for like two or three weeks or something like that. It's not that I didn't like Lane's setup. It's not that I didn't believe in it, but um, I was also following other people in the meantime, which by the way, like if I learned one useful lesson throughout all these years is that if you found a training setup or even diet setup for that matter, which makes sense and it seems to be working well, as far as you can tell, then just freaking close the internet and stop reading about other people's approaches because inevitably you will also find something else that seems to make sense as well. And then you will be just confused and you will be just uh, yeah, conflicted about what you should be doing. And you know, I didn't follow that good advice back then. So I started reading Martin Burkhan's blog. I was familiar with his work from before that as well, but I was mainly reading that for the nutrition piece and the intermittent fasting piece. Um, I knew that he was a big advocate of lower volumes in training and very intense training. And he had a sort of tone and kind of just way of talking about it all that resonated with me. He has that very famous, almost legendary article called uh, Fuck Around Ditis. And there he had lines such as, in training, there are general do's and don'ts. And these things are not, it depends, it's just how it is, basically. Like he was like giving you the bottom line. He like really told you the hard quote unquote facts. And um, you know, it, it's really hard to, I guess, overlook something like that. Like it's very compelling if you don't have a sufficient amount of knowledge yourself. 
at this point, if someone said something like that to me, that in training there are just hard truths and there's no such thing as it depends, like it's, it's automatically a red flag. Like if in anything in training there is a lot of it depends. But you know, it was very compelling. So I started following Martin Burkhan's stuff. And I would say that, you know, out of all these template stuff that I started following online, I stuck with his stuff for the longest. So I started following it in like May or something like that. And I followed it until like December or something. So yeah, I did give it an honest go and it was working fine, but then I just got stuck on it completely. And um, I was just not going anywhere. So I specifically remember I was doing bench press on one of my workouts, three sets, reverse pyramid style. So starting with the heaviest weights in the first set and then dropping the weight by like 10% in the second and third set. And yeah, for the first set, which was for four to six reps, I was stuck at like 85 kilos for I think four reps or maybe five. And I could just not get past that for the life of me. And I stuck with that for a while and um, Honestly, I was really convinced that he was giving me the real deal, like this is the best way to train. So I was very reluctant to change that up. Uh, but then what ended up happening is that I listened to a podcast with Lane. So Lane Norton, he was talking with Dr. Mike Zordos and they were talking about periodization. And uh, again, they were talking about the role of training volume and how higher training volumes are shown to be more effective than lower training volumes and that the correlation is actually very high between muscle growth and volume. Again, we can debate that, but maybe that was actually what I needed to hear at the time. And they were talking about DUP, so daily undulating periodization and how you could set that up in basically an infinite number of ways. So for example, on Monday, you could be benching for sets of five. And then on Thursday, you could be benching for sets of 10 or something like that. That could be perfectly valid, but it could also be like three times a week and it could be 6, 12, and 20, so there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just a method to periodize your training. So I remember what I started doing was benching on, I think, Monday or Tuesday, and then on Friday, and then on the first bench session, I did five sets of bench, and I did ascending pyramid sets. So I started like very far from failure, and then only went very close to failure in the last set, and I was trying to hit four or then six reps later in the week for all of those five sets. And so these were ascending pyramid sets. So the weight went up from set to set. So I started with like 70 kilos in the first set. I did four reps, then rested like, I don't know, two or three minutes. Then I went up to 72 kilos. Then I did four reps again. And then I was trying to hit my PR in the last set. So arguably far from being the best way of setting up your progression, but man, in freaking no time, I went on to bench 90 kilos for four reps. And that was a huge deal. And I was super, super happy with that. I did the same sort of uh, progression for chin-ups as well. And I pretty quickly was able to do chin-ups with like 10 kilos, I think, which was a huge deal. I still remember going home to my flatmates and telling them that, whoa, I did chin-ups with 10 kilos, that's amazing. So yeah, that worked pretty well. 
Um, then again, I don't know why I didn't just stuck with, stick with that. So like, yeah, it wasn't the optimal way to train, but goddammit, it was working really well. So I could have kept it up for a lot longer. But then I ended up modifying it because, you know, because I want to change. And then I guess I still followed the same DUP setup, but now from four and then six reps, I went to like eight reps and 12 reps or something like that, I think. And um, yeah, then basically began a very, very long period of program hopping again. I also remember at that time what didn't help my case was that I had some love troubles. So I was like really into a girl who didn't like me back. So I had a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of frustrations at the time. And I just needed to spend all that frustrated energy somewhere. So I just ended up going to the gym like all the time and I ended up doing some ridiculous shit. Like I remember probably the stupidest thing was like benching every day and doing like five sets every day. But because, you know, I, I still remembered all the DUP stuff from Lane, I was doing it in like five different rep ranges. So one day it was like five sets of, you know, 10 to 12. The other day it was five sets of four to six. And then I did it like five days a week. So I did like 25 sets of bench and I did that for, you know, other muscle groups as well, but I just beat myself into the ground, but, but at least I spent my energy somewhere. So I did all kinds of crazy stuff for like two or three months. And, um, it's pretty hard to reflect on that whole period and really tell what produced good results and what didn't. What I do know is that the Martin Burkham style training, at least in the way I did it, which again, it was taken from the website. So I didn't just pull it out of my ass it just got me plateaued really quickly. And honestly, I think it was just too low in volume. Like there's just no way around it. Basically doing bench presses for like three sets, like once a week and that being my training for, for the chest. Like, yeah, I mean, it made me plateaued. Maybe there are some people who will progress for way longer than I did at the time, but it just didn't work out. Um, and then this little bit of increase in volume and doing like two times five sets of bench pressing, pretty submaximal sets for the most part, but having like, you know, two, maybe three closer to failure sets in each workout that worked really well. And then that, you know, 25 sets of bench a week, like obviously that was insanity. Uh, but what I do remember is that later that year, I was uh, changing somewhere. We were going to a pool or something. And that's when I actually saw myself in, in I guess, a well lit mirror. And I actually saw that, wow, like I'm clearly more buff than I was before. I guess I just somehow didn't realize that before because I was so used to being plateaued all the time and like never really looking like I lifted. Now I actually looked like someone who is definitely hitting the gym. And then shortly after that began my first serious cut. So that's when I decided that, okay, like I'm gonna go for this whole six pack thing. That's when um, I started counting calories as well. And all those things that I talked about in my diet history video, my training normalized a little bit. So I know I was training three days a week and my training was pretty low volume. I was still doing the reverse pyramid thing, but I was training with a little bit higher volumes than what um, Martin Burkhan was at least in that article where I got that training template from was recommending. And actually that got me progressing like really, really well. So actually like that, that Martin Burkhan style training with a bit higher volumes was working well for me. So I did that. And I do remember a day like early on in that cut that I ended up doing where I hit a hundred kilos for four reps on the bench. And that was amazing. That was a huge, huge deal. That was end of like this four or five week process. And I was just linearly getting stronger. And when I hit those hundred kilos for four reps, I was like, my goodness, like, 
now finally I found the thing that works. Like, like this is amazing. Like, holy shit. Like in eight weeks, like, my God, I will be benching like 120 kilos. Like, holy shit. Like I'm going to finally turn into a beast. Um, the only issue was that from that point onwards, I linearly got weaker week after week. And basically my bench went from like hundred kilos for four to like 92 kilos for four. And in retrospect, it's actually pretty clear what happened. Basically when I was doing that 25 sets of benching a week insanity. And after that, lowering my training volume, basically I did my first ever unintentional peaking phase. Basically I peaked my strength like a power lifter would do because I did a taper effectively. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that this is something that can happen, that you go from really high volumes to like much, much lower volumes and that can temporarily peak your strength. That's what happened with me. So, but anyway, it was still a nice experience to hit hundred kilos for four reps. Um, then I went into that really serious cut. Um, I didn't gain much strength or muscle during that period. Um, but I do have this picture, which I'll put up here. Uh, this is one of my, one of the pictures that is the closest to my heart throughout all of those, like, uh, changing room selfies that I took over the years, because this was really the first time where I was like, wow, like I look buff, like this dude looks like he lifts seriously. And I sent it to everybody that I knew. And I wasn't too embarrassed in front of my mother, like girls that I liked, uh, guys that I worked out with and everybody was complimenting me because I mean, yeah, this picture looks cool and I do look like I lift. Um, and from then on, I didn't stop until I reached my first ever like real six pack look. And yeah, from a training aspect, it obviously wasn't great. One thing that was important that happened during this period is that I started getting exposed to more and more people that were smart when it comes to training. So I became familiar with Brett Schoenfeld. I became familiar with Ben Eskrow, Eric Helms, Mano Henselmans. Like I mentioned, like he was the first well, I guess Lane would have been the first, but then yeah, Menno would have been the second one. And Menno was maybe the first person that was like ultra analytical when it came to training. So he was not only very, I guess, scientifically minded when it came to stuff like periodization, but also when it came to stuff like how you train each muscle group. And uh, yeah, I just became very intrigued by his methods. And then I decided that, okay, like this Menno guy, like he really seems to know what he's talking about. And you know what? He's going to be my first ever coach when it comes to training. So when I will be done with this cut, he will be the guy who will help me get huge. And so I reached out to him. I inquired about his coaching prices or maybe even before that I had assumed that he will be expensive. So I actually started collecting money. Like at that point I was still a student. So it took me like a month or so to collect the money that I needed for his coaching. I helped out on like, uh, you know, construction sites and moving apartments and whatever. But finally I collected all the cash that I needed and I signed up for his coaching. And um, it was an amazing experience. It was short because after three weeks I got injured and I'm going to touch on that in a second, but it was like exactly the types of workouts that any guy would love. Like it was high frequency for the upper body. Like on one day I could bench and then on the other day I could do chin-ups and overhead presses. Like it was like a dream for me. And I was bulking at the same time with more carbs. Like that was the time when I officially abandoned low carb dieting as well. So like high calories, high carbs, and like a lot of training for, for the upper body, especially like it was just phenomenal. And then after three weeks, it was a really unfortunate accident. 
it's not Menno's fault. It was not the training setup. It's not because he set up my training recklessly, although I would say that it was probably too high volume. Um, and I know that for sure because later, like years later, I collaborated with him again, and then the volume was much more moderate when I was actually more advanced. So I think he became a bit wiser on that front over time as well. But anyways, uh, maybe the training volume was a bit too high, but the injury was not because of that. It was literally an accident. So as I said before, I grabbed the bar during an overhead press with a too narrow of a grip. And as I was pressing it up, it could, could have happened at any other time. Um, yeah, it, it partially tore a tendon in my shoulder and partially it subluxed uh, my shoulder. That took me out of the gym for a very long time mainly because I just had absolutely no idea about injury management and all those physios that I went to over those over that time period, like all of them were just completely clueless. Like I'm pretty sure that if I still went to those physios or if I didn't eventually go to a really well-known sports doctor in Hungary, then I would still not be training and I would still be going to physios like three times a week and trying to just discover what this mysterious shoulder issue could be because like, like they had just no fucking idea I and mean, it was just comical. So yeah, but the point is I did not train my upper body productively because I thought I couldn't for basically a good year. And then, yeah, I would say that it took like a good year and a half by the time I actually got back to where I was before the injury. And then I would say it took me like a good two and a half years by the time I actually surpassed my physique at the time before the injury. So yeah, I mean, it was a really, really big hindrance and it was really painful uh, mentally to take that whole thing. You know, training was just a, a really, really big part of my life and a really big aspect of just, I guess, keeping my overall well-being in check. I guess if there is one silver lining in that whole thing is that it just made me realize more than ever that training just truly means so much to me and that I should not be taking it for granted that I get to do this. I think um, there are very few instances in our lives where we are reminded of these things. Um, you know, by then training sort of became like routine for me, just a means to an end, like I need to do this if I wanna look good or whatever, but I didn't really appreciate it for what it was. But then I, you know, learned to appreciate it more than ever. And I guess the next time I had an experience like this was when the pandemic hit and then the gyms got closed and I had no equipment yet at home. Uh, that was definitely one of the worst, uh, or maybe the worst three months of my life, honestly. Then as time has gone on, so while recovering from this injury, I got seriously into self-education. So I took Menno's personal training course. Uh, that was so, <laughs> I talked about this before, but besides the fact that I think it's an amazing personal training course and uh, whether or not you're actually a PT or a coach, even if you just want to apply that information to yourself, it's just phenomenally comprehensive and extremely high quality. That's my opinion. I'm not affiliated in any way to say that, but I would also say that it was just the happiest seven months of my life. Like, I was just obsessed with lifting and nutrition. Like that's all I read about. That's all I thought about. That's all I ever wanted to talk about. And there was this course with a whole bunch of like-minded people who were equally obsessed as, as I was. And I could just nerd out the whole day. And all week I was waiting for the new course material. And when that came, I was churning through that like a madman. A funny story about that is that I'm pretty sure that I actually reshaped the history of that training course or that PT course because 
So at the time when I was taking it, you could comment under each course topic, basically indefinitely. So even if that course module came out like, you know, three months ago, even then you could still comment under it and ask questions. And me and then another guy, we were going absolutely crazy. Like each day we were asking like 50 billion questions and probably Menno wanted to like shoot his head off after like two weeks because uh, it was just impossible to keep up with us. And um, so then I took his course again, like a year later or something. And by then each new course module, like the comment section under that was closed after a week, basically. So you could only ask questions for a limited period of time. And I'm pretty sure that was because of me and this other guy. So oops, uh, but that's kind of funny. In the meantime, another significant thing happened, which is uh, that I started collaborating with Berger Fagerli. By collaborating, I just mean that I reached out to him and uh, I asked him if he could be my coach and if he was willing to coach me. And luckily he said yes. And uh, that basically began our relationship of sorts. First, it began with him coaching me for a good seven months in total. And uh, that was just, um, an amazingly eye-opening and completely unexpected experience, or at least the way the whole thing happened was completely unexpected for me because I knew that Menno and Berge were very, very close. And I knew that Berge influenced Menno's philosophies a lot. So I sort of expected Berge to basically do the exact same thing as what Menno did with me before, but um, maybe with a bit more care to injury management and things like that, because I knew that he had a lot of issues with that himself. Um, but what ended up happening is that it was just completely different. So the volumes were like drastically lower, so low that at first, I had the kind of reaction that a lot of clients have with me that uh, I just looked at it and I was like, man, like you're sure this, this is going to work. And um, long story short, that year I ended up experiencing like by far the biggest muscle growth spurt that I ever had, like all these years, basically. So I ended up putting on like five kilos of legit muscle, mind you. A portion of that was simply uh, catching up in leg growth because that is something that I sort of neglected up until that point. Like I didn't skip leg day, but at the same time, I, I just wasn't as serious about that as I was about training my upper body, like many guys are. Um, so definitely a portion of that was that. But at the end of that was the point which I mentioned where I finally surpassed my previous bests as far as my physique was concerned. So then I actually took some pictures and I was like, okay, like I definitely never looked like this in that double back uh, bicep pose or even in any other pose for that matter. So yep, like those more moderate volumes, higher intensities of effort. The intensity of effort was high with Menno as well, but those more moderate volumes were just working amazingly and I could just keep doing it, never got injured, like always felt good, always felt recovered. And the progress was just very, very linear. And you know, by that point I was not like a ranked newbie, I was training for a while, but um, still like it, it was just amazingly productive. And, and I guess that coaching experience with Burger is, um, it, it definitely had one of the most pronounced impacts on my overall philosophy when it comes to training. Then after that, I went a bit uh, program hopper, high volume crazy again. So yeah, once I stopped working with Burger, I was like, okay, like now I'm ready to start pushing things again. So I started doing higher volumes again. Again, got burnt out, got a whole bunch of niggles, joint pain, um, not able to sleep, like all of those ridiculous things. Um, 
Honestly, looking back, not all of it is down to high volumes. It was more so down to the fact that I was still missing a few key pieces in how to actually arrange and structure workouts. Like the more you're pushing the volumes, the smarter you have to be with all of those things and the more systematic you have to be with all of those things. And I was still missing a lot of that. Um, then later I again returned to more moderate volumes and being a bit more structured, things started to pick up once again. And uh, honestly, so like, I think part of this is down to the lower volumes, but I think a lot of it is just down to the fact that when you're keeping the volume more moderate, it's just easier to keep track of your progression. And it's just, I guess there is more room for error as far as the overall setup of your training is concerned. Like if something is not arranged just right, or maybe on some days your recovery is not just right, it's not going to bite you in the ass as much if the volumes are more moderate. Um, so, you know, it like multiple factors here to consider, but the point is like basically anytime I tried higher volumes, it always bit me in the ass. So I guess at that point, maybe I swung too much in the other direction. So then I became a bit uh, too low volume crazy. So I basically started speaking of high volume as something that only a moron would do that like low volume is the real shit. Everything else is stupid. Yeah, so that then I became a bit too confident in my knowledge and just put a bit too much emphasis on my own experience once again. Then what actually put things into place for me like really, really well when it came to programming was when I eventually worked together with Menno once again, like two years later. And then he put me on this like really high frequency program with like more moderate volumes. And then, so not just through seeing the training split that he put together for me, but also, you know, picking his brain and having these conversations with him. Then I like really, I guess, just managed to fill in a couple of those missing pieces, which earlier prevented me from making higher training volumes work. And then when I later went on my own, I finally was able to make it work. So I built up from moderate volumes to higher training volumes as I was able to demonstrate it to myself that I was tolerating it well. And man, by the end of it, I was up at 49 sets for my upper body muscles, basically. So I was in the gym for endless hours and I was training with super, super ridiculously high volumes, but I was still progressing linearly, basically. And I was never injured, never a niggle, well, except for my hip flexor, which I kind of messed up along the way, but that got fixed eventually as well. So finally I was able to make it work. And it's not because like I really wanted to do high volumes of training. Like I don't do it now either, even though I could, it's more so that I just really wanted to know if there is really no way for me to make this work. Like, am I just someone who doesn't respond to higher volumes of training or am I just fucking something up always? Um, so that was a useful experience. And I would say I have no regrets about doing those high volumes of training. What I do have regrets about is sticking with that, even when then I went through basically a contest prep, which was not a contest prep, but a photo shoot prep. So even when I was like 7% body fat and not eating anything and not sleeping, even then I was doing like 20 sets for all muscle groups, whereas I had no business doing that. I should have done like half that because it was clear that I was not recovering. In fact, I was regressing like week to week linearly. So yeah, then I was too stubborn again, but yeah, I guess you do some stupid things when you're going through a very, very serious diet and your brain is just uh, not functioning anymore. But I would say that that whole period, maybe excluding my photo shoot prep in which I was a bit stupid, 
that was the phase where I gained just a, a really good insight on how I was responding to training. And then also just a, a much better, I guess, uh, balanced, holistic understanding of the whole thing. Because I, I just had the opportunity to interact with so many smart people in the field. And finally, I was able to develop my own perspective in a way where I was not looking for others and seeing what they were doing. And I was reaching back to all the training splits that were working well for me and kept hoping that they would still work well. But I finally started to understand like, okay, like what are the things that I need to manage and what things to fiddle with the most if I want to make my training work better. And then I also started to luckily work together with more and more clients, which was also a hugely eye-opening thing for me. Like I got a much better, much more realistic perspective on what the true average population roughly is. Like I had some ideas about, you know, like what the average response to training is, like what the average physique is of someone who has been training for like three, four years, something like that. Now that thing got much more cleared up. Um, and I guess I just got to see how a lot of people respond to different training approaches. Like it's one thing to work together your own plateaus and your own weaknesses and managing that. But, you know, everybody has different weak points. Everybody has different things that they find challenging. Like for me, you know, my chest and my whole like uh, pressing complex, I guess, when it comes to my musculature, that was always my strong point and I was always progressing that reasonably well. Whereas for others, that's like a really, really stubborn area and you just have to pay really special attention to that. These things I never would have come across if I did not start working together with clients. So that was a really useful experience as well. You know, and I would say that for the last couple of years, I didn't have any radical shifts in the way I look at training and my training philosophy. Like I'm a big fan of higher training frequencies, more moderate volumes of training and higher intensities of effort. I don't think that it is the optimal way to train. Like I do think, in fact, I know for sure that higher volumes of training and more submaximal ways of training, those can also work perfectly well. I think they have a couple of downsides in practice when it comes to the actual implementation that can make it not more problematic, but just it requires more meticulousness and just more micromanaging for most people to make it work. And thus it's just easier to screw it up in practice. The end outcome can be just as good, it's just the road to get there can be a bit more challenging and more people will run into issues while trying to do it because most people are just not that competent at managing these things. So that's why that tends to be my default recommendation. I absolutely come across cases where that just did not work as well as I had anticipated, but I think it's worth giving it a shot for most people. The thing that I had to learn over time is that we can never fully predict how well someone is going to respond to training. The genetic variance is admittedly huge and we don't have super clear cut answers as far as what's the best way to train. We have certain things that we do know but how to exactly implement it, you know, that's partly science, that's partly an art. So everybody will have to experiment a little bit and, you know, no matter who your coach is or who you're consuming information from, you can never be 100% sure that you're going to get the results that you're after. When it comes to me trying to help others, you know, I can never promise to anyone that I will get you super jacked or I will make you look like a god. I would say that at this point, I'm very, very confident in my ability to at least 
make you stop spinning your wheels. So I guess if I had to name my specialty is, um, you know, I'm a wheel spinning halter or something like that. You know, as the saying goes, the first step in trying to get out of a hole is to stop digging or something like that, like stop digging yourself even deeper. I mean, I think basically the same thing goes for training. Like a lot of people are just making things worse and worse and they are just driving themselves crazy and basically at a certain point they have just no way of telling if something is even working or not because they're just trying so many different things and it's basically just wheel spinning and i think if we can spare someone a couple of years in which that happens i think they will be at a huge advantage you know and i think there are lots of interesting things that we still have to find out about training so for example i'm very interested in knowing what the real role of strength gains are for muscle growth like at this point the model that says that okay basically progressive overload and getting stronger that's a consequence of successful training and not the other way around i think that makes the most sense but at the same time i have seen it that even people who work really hard they're pushing themselves all the time if they get stuck at a certain strength level then basically nothing happens even if we increase training volume even if i just tell them hey like don't worry just if you keep pushing yourself like things are going to happen usually they just never end up breaking through those training plateaus whereas if we just implement some trick that makes them at least get through that strength plateau that actually is often enough to them keep progressing for another couple of months so like i would think that that there is something to the idea of just being exposed to heavier loads over time that is somehow an important component of the whole muscle growth process but that is something that we just don't know yet you know another thing is the whole failure proximity thing like now there is more and more research coming out we're not more and more but there is some research existing that indicates that you could be training like five or six reps away from failure and that can that could be just as good as training one or zero reps away from failure um i'm very skeptical of that just because like at that point we would be basically saying that okay like when it comes to training like nothing matters you can train super far away from failure and that's just as good as training much closer to failure the rep ranges don't matter it doesn't seem to matter uh, periodization doesn't matter you know like you can do basically any kind of exercise we know that there are no mandatory exercises for muscle growth and at, at a certain point you're like man like something has to matter right like uh, or is it just the case that like i, I go to the gym like kind of lift something like it doesn't even have to be challenging and and, and that's already good enough like, man, we would not see so many people going to the gym year after year, looking the same, not going anywhere, because we see a lot of those people. And the ones that actually get even like moderately good results are far and few between, unfortunately. So I don't think that would be the case if, you know, training six reps away from failure would be enough. But hey, what do I know? I'm keeping an open mind. We don't exactly know, you know, what really drives muscle growth. We do know the factors that are important for muscle growth, like training volume and then intensity of effort. I think, you know, the saying that all models are wrong, but some are useful, that's very true of training. I think that the effective reps model, while that's, you know, too radically stated um, with not enough nuance, but I think maybe that's the most useful model that's been put out there so far. I think, you know, if I had to like illustrate it with some sort of a weird like, like visual, it would be something like, you have the muscle and basically you need to stimulate that with a dose of 
mechanical tension and then basically you can dose that mechanical tension with the intensity of effort and then with training volume and to some extent those two things are interchangeable like you can lower one and then increase the other or vice versa like basically that's how i'm looking at it you know time will tell how right i am but i think if you're thinking about it that way, I think that explains a lot of things such as why you see a lot of people who get good results with lower volumes and higher intensities of effort. Um, but then you also see people who get good results with like really high volumes of training and they usually don't train that intensely as far as the effort goes. So yeah, I guess uh, I could keep on rambling about all of this, but uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much my training history in a nutshell. So uh, yeah, I guess I will wrap up here. Uh, let me know if you have any questions. Uh, if I didn't cover something that could have been relevant, um, please point it out. I could not think of anything else for now. So I will just thank you for your attention. Uh, check out the show description if you want to work together with me in some way, shape or form. And well, my Instagram is not there at the moment because Instagram uh, doesn't like me, but uh, that's for another day. So see you guys next time.